I'm Brennan Doherty. I'm Eric Hung Yao. I'm Abby Plenner. And we are The Markup. For the last, well, since September, the three of us, along with Dylan Freeman Grist, have done our best to talk about and expose the issues and the process of producing great Canadian long-form journalism. Now that the year's wrapped up and our print issue will be available quite soon, we thought that it would be best to do a show about how we put our own show together. So joining me are Erica Nagao and Abby Planner. So initially, Brennan was the one who uh, sort of came up with the idea. So what was your sort of initial initial vision when we started brainstorming at the beginning of the year? As a journalism student in my third year, I was really interested in, I, I kind of obsessively read this section of Nyman's Story Lab, um, and it was a thing called Why Is This So Good? It was a thing for features. Every year they take, every week, sorry, they would take a feature, and it could have been one that had been written the week before, or in one case, 50 years before, and they just piece it apart with the, usually with the, with the writer, and, f- you know, piece together what actually happened throughout the making of the story, what stuff was cut out, what stuff wasn't. In a sense, it was like, a dra- like a, an edit with a reader looking over the shoulder of the editor, seeing what had happened and what had gone into it. And I always wanted to do podcasting when I came here, and I thought, you know, can we do the same with a podcast? Can we do the same with something that isn't visual? It took off from there. I got involved because I'd done some producing for the campus uh, radio station, and I was always super interested in participating in my, you know, my own podcast. So I thought, you know, when I was talking to Brennan about this idea, I thought that it was a really good way to carry forth the RJ mandates of being critical of Canadian media, but also celebrating work that we think is done really well. I think that what we came up with worked. Yeah, and I, when I heard that you guys were, were working on it, I, I mean, I was really excited about the idea of the RJ doing a podcast because, I mean, obviously all of us are a part of this because we're interested in, you know, talking about the journalism industry and sort of what goes on behind the scenes. For me, I really like hearing people tell their stories themselves and the idea of being able to to have those conversations and to share those conversations with everyone else was really exciting. And so talking about, you know, the episodes that we've worked on. So our first episode, we focused on Chop Suey, which was a, a feature in the Globe and Mail last summer. And that, that was sort of Erica's pitch that she was really passionate about that story. That episode was Erica's baby. It was mm-hmm. great. Yeah. So I had read um, initially Chop Suey Nation. It was a, you know, I, I don't remember how long it was, like 1,600 words or something, like a super long feature published in the Globe and Mail in two parts written by Anne Huey, who is a national food reporter for the Globe and Mail. And the story was basically her going on, you know, a cross-country road trip trying to find, um, find, or trying to figure out why there was always, you know, one Chinese restaurant in every Canadian town, no matter how small, no matter how isolated. And the story really touched me because, you know, it spoke a lot about family ties and the history of, you know, Chinese uh, Canadian immigrants in Canada and you know really why why these families come over here and you know sacrifice everything uh for their family so i really wanted to speak to Anne Huey about you know her inspiration for for the story and really you know look at the process of undertaking such a in-depth feature you know reporting wise and also you know she had to travel a lot she had to 
find where these people were who were, you know, living in small towns. And it was just such an impressive piece of work and so interesting and something that has never really been done before in Canadian journalism. I just really wanted to get to talk to her because she's really cool. I remember you saying that, you, you, you know, you wanted to, to get in touch. You want to do some kind of story with her. And uh, I hadn't read the feature before uh, you talked about it. And then I did. And it was, wow. <laughs> you know, it was like, just the amount of work that went into it, the amount of time, like just the fact that like what, what newspaper these days was willing to fly a reporter, you know, 3,000 miles across the country for a, a, like a story about food. Not to say it's insignificant, but just... No one does that anymore, but the Globe did, and it it was worth their time. Mm-hmm. And I think it worked really well for our podcast because the impact of that future was also like very enormous because um, the Globe published like, a follow-up to the feature, which included uh, letters from readers um, talking about how the story had impacted them. And it was a very popular story and very relatable to everyone, uh, whether or not you kind of come from that background. I think it worked well for our first episode because there was a lot to talk about. Yeah, and I guess for, for you, Brennan, so what was sort of the episode that, that you felt really passionate about? It was funny because it was one that was actually, it took a lot of, of work on, on our part. It was the, uh, one of the things I didn't want to do for this podcast is I didn't want to just focus on magazine writers. I didn't want to just focus on newspaper writers. There's a lot of stuff like, why is it so good from, from Nyman that really does obsess about them and kind of forgets that there is a whole other, their whole, there are n- quite a number of different species of journalists besides writers. So I actually emailed a friend of mine. Um, I wanted to do one on photographers and I, I don't know photography very well. I, I, I mean, I, I watch it, but I don't know fo- kind of big photographers or really interesting photographers. And I emailed a friend of mine who's in our program uh, and said, recommend me some good photographers because I know you are one. And she gave me a few names, and one of them was a man by the name of Pat Kane. He's kind of a, an interesting guy. He, uh, he was born in Sault Ste. Marie, I believe. Went to school in Toronto and then had a friend call him and say, hey, man, I've just gone to Lake Yellowknife, and I've gotten a job here. You should come up and join me. And so he just somehow, I'm not actually sure how this is possible, he drove from, Ye- from Toronto to Yellowknife and has never left since. And he's basically the go-to shooter for the North. The BBC uses him, National Geographic uses him, the Star uses him, the Globe uses him, everyone. Every photo editor, I'm sure, in Canada knows of Pat Kane. And he put a personal project together on what is sometimes characterized as the skid row of Yellowknife. It's called Range Street. Uh, it's also its most famous kind of street. It's, it's uh, kind of the entertainment district of Yellowknife. Uh, it's got both a really, really colorful and a really, really seedy reputation at the same time. And he did a kind of a photo essay showing that it's a lot more complicated than just it's seedy or it's not. It's it's a very, yeah, it's a very complicated place. And so I, got, I obviously didn't go to Yellowknife, but I managed to speak to him by phone. And uh, that was a really fascinating one. It was also really weird to do a podcast about something you couldn't kind of recite. You know, you could describe images, but you couldn't, like, it's not like you could just kind of do a readout of an interesting quote. And I know that when we finished the podcast, uh, one of the things that we just kind of discussed with a number of people was, you know, well, why why would you do that for a, like a podcast? Why would you do a you know present a visual medium in an audio format? And uh, I, I liked the challenge. It was a lot of fun, and it got some pretty good reaction from the website. Yeah, and I think a lot of people were ex- excited that 
we were giving attention to, to Pat Kane because he is someone who's respected. And, and I feel like photographers are also sort of one of those forms of journalists that people kind of forget about how key their role is. Um, and it also gave us an opportunity to talk about reporting in northern communities, which is, you know, always kind of a challenge for us sitting here in downtown Toronto. For for episode three, we focused on Migrant Dreams, which was a documentary that TVO helped produce by a filmmaker named Insook Lee. And actually, since we aired that pod, since we aired that episode, Migrant Dreams has been sweeping a bunch of journalism awards, partially, you know, recognizing the fact that Migrant Dreams draws attention to the number of migrant workers in Canada, which is, I mean, one of the sort of main reasons I wanted to talk about it was because it is something that is underreported and that we we don't really see that much coverage of. The coverage is definitely improving, but also a, yeah, a big part of that has been, has been this film and the film festivals that it's gone to and how passionate people have been, have been about screening it. So I got to, to speak to Minsook Lee and also uh, speak to some experts about, you know, what that dialogue is, is like in the media, because especially for an issue like migrant workers, you know, those sources are, are hard to access. It's hard for them to access the media and also hard for the media to access them when a lot of them are working in small towns and in, in remote areas and, you know, English is often not their first language. So there's, so we got to talk about that challenge and also the, the challenge that that Minsook had in, in in finding those sources and, you know, sort of the importance of informed consent that, that you know, those it, it was a risk for those sources to speak to her. So she really had to, you know, sort of constantly walk them through the process and, and understand the importance of it. And then we got to talk to to Robin Doolittle about the, the unfounded investigation, which was also, you know, one of those just sort of massive efforts that only a, a paper who, you know, puts the funding behind it could have pulled off that project. I spoke to a lot of researchers who who just said, you know, we could have never done this on on our own. Like the Globe needed to, you know, front the money to fill out all these FOI requests to, to get all this data about how police across the country are handling sexual assault cases. And people have also talked about the importance of, you know, collecting for, for Stats Canada to, to start collecting that data again because because of that investigation and that reporting. Another thing uh, I guess that we should turn the light on, given that we are kind of trying to expose the process behind ourselves, is what went into every, like what the process was for each episode. Because I think a lot of people think that a podcast is just something you, and I unfortunately was guilty of this at the beginning of the year, that... <laughs> You know, a podcast was just a matter of making two or three phone calls and just sitting down in a room with a microphone and turning it on. And it is a lot more work than that. Definitely. I mean, you two did the majority of like, you know, the chasing and the interviewing. So how was that? It was a lot, a lot of work. It was, I always underestimated the amount of time it took for a script. Usually we would try to do reporting. We we try to kind of, our episodes aired every two weeks, but we try to kind of move usually to about four weeks or so. Like we try to give ourselves extra breathing room because inevitably an interview would come at the last minute. Yeah, or, or, or an interview would fall through or get canceled or I, we would have to think of sort of different combinations of interviews that would fit together. And and that could, and sometimes actually we had more than one technical problem. Uh, I seem to <laughs> like, I, in one in one notable case for an episode that I will not, men- I won't mention what episode it is, but let's just say <laughs> that the secondary guest that we had uh, I was calling them. Uh, they are based in Denmark, and I, I uh, that that one completely fell through. So we had to find a new guest in about 
two or three days. That was mm-hmm. not fun. Um, but it, it worked, and the episode did well. So, um, mm-hmm. but we would try to we would try to get all of our reporting done as fast as possible. Usually around our other ROJ duties. We all had to kind of balance these things. But I, I feel like like as a team we worked really well together. And I think this the podcast project like just looking at the progress we've made from like initially pitching it to you know being here right now recording this you know our last kind of special follow-up episode to the series i'm really proud of the project and of us like i think we worked really well together and i think that we came up with a pretty unique concept in terms of podcasting goes i mean there's not a show that's like that looks at a piece of journalism like we do so mm-hmm. i like the process as opposed to the names uh and that was actually something that kind of caused a bit of friction sometimes is that i think uh there were some people at the rj who i think imagine and I, I understand the criticism that uh you know we were sometimes talking to people who weren't necessarily on the map or who didn't or not, not well-known names necessarily yeah and and i think one of the things we tried to do is say it's it's not about who does it although i mean you know, to be fair, we, we interviewed Robin Doolittle. We interviewed Suzanne Craig, who is a Canadian-born uh, New York Times investigative reporter. So we, we did interview some some big names, but we also had a few, you know, with Migrant Dreams, where they, they you know, were independent or they were fairly new to their career. So uh, just looking at the actual piece of work as opposed to uh, the journalists behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just to just to embarrass Erica a little bit, uh, when you guys pick up the print issue, you can read more about the importance of podcasting in Canadian journalism because Erica wrote a whole feature on it. Gee, <laughs> should, should. That's, that's a lot of pressure. Podcast after the podcasting never ends for our <laughs> editor. It never ends for our intrepid editor. Because uh, I mean, Abby and I would usually put together like chop up stuff, and I know Abby, you record, you helped edit and. I think you did mix a few episodes. Uh, a, a little bit, yeah. We but, all we all sort of took turns shuffling around. But no, no. Uh, but when it came to the actual mixing and, and making it sound beautiful and crisp and clean, that's all Erica. Um, that really is. And yeah, I, I still to this day don't quite know how that works. But. <laughs> I mean, as long as we're giving shout outs, I was taught to do those things by Angela Glover and Blake Lambert, <laughs> our amazing radio instructors here at the Ryerson School of Journalism. So you know, however nice this podcast sounds, it's all thanks to them. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we, we had quite a few late nights, but we made it, uh, we made it work. And yeah, after, after, uh, after, you know, working hard all this, all, all these months, it's, um, th- thank, thanks to you guys for, for, for listening, for following along with our work and yeah, be sure to, to check out the, the RJ's print issue and you can, you can join us at our, at our launch this week. And hopefully uh, next year you'll be listening to another set of voices on the RJ.ca. And hopefully they continue with the markup, but if they don't, it's okay. <laughs> I think we, I think we, we wrapped up the season well. Yeah. So yeah. stay tuned. <laughs>